0: Thanks for listening to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. Our prayer is that today's message will challenge and inspire you to pursue Jesus and to love people to life. Today we're going to go through Hebrews 2, but we're going to talk about no turning back. That's what the title of it is. No turning back is what our series is. Uh, And so just in case you didn't miss last week, the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it for sure, but we know that it was written because there were a bunch of Jews, there were a bunch of Jewish people that had come to Christ, knew who Christ was, but then they started to feel guilty. They started to feel like they needed to turn back to their Jewish heritage. They needed to turn back to what the Jews believed at the time. And there were people coming in, influencing them, persecuting them to the point that they needed. They felt like they needed to turn back. They needed to go back. They needed to turn back to those things because if they weren't doing those things then they were missing out they they were they they, di- they didn't know what to do um, and so the book of hebrews is written to convince them that they needed to continue to follow Christ, that Christ was the supreme mediator, Christ was the supreme being, Christ was um, what truly was the son of God that was given, and following him is the most important thing. Following him is what we can't turn back from. Following him is what we need to continue to pursue. Following him, and so the book of Hebrews is written to convince them that Jesus is the high priest that he said he was. Um, and so Hebrews chapter one really just sets that up. Hebrews chapter one is all about declaring the, the supremacy of Christ, declaring who Jesus is, declaring um, who who he says he is and and, and what he did and, and who God said he is. And so that's Hebrews one. There is not a single command given in Hebrews one. But as soon as you get to Hebrews two is where it starts. And so we're going to pick up in Hebrews two. Hebrews two, one through verse four is where we're going to start. And it says this. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. So, right away, we see the very first of five commands that you're going to see throughout the book of Hebrews. This is the very first one. Hebrews 1, let's declare who Christ is, let's tell you why he is who he is, and then Hebrews 2, you get the very first command. And we're going to be looking at that command moving forward. The first thing we see, though, is that salvation is great, right? Like, if you have it, you know how good it actually is. If you don't have it, we see that everybody walks around seeking for something, right? Tom Brady left the Patriots and went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because, in my opinion, he's trying to chase that first Super Bowl feeling all over again. He's trying to chase that idea of, you know, I was on a winning team, I know what it's like to win, but, but it's not the same. Like, people expect us to win. I need to go to a team that isn't expected to win and see if I can do the same thing all over again because he continues to chase this feeling. He continues to chase this hole that's inside of him that he doesn't know why it's there. We as Christians know it's because he needs Jesus. It's because he needs a relationship because every single one of us needs it. Every single one of us has to have it. We don't know it. We don't recognize it. We don't recognize that void until it's actually been filled. And then you realize that's what I've been missing. And so it's the exact same thing that that he's talking about here in the book of in the book of Hebrews is that salvation is great. Salvation is awesome. And if you've experienced it, continue to walk in it because it comes straight from Jesus. There's no other source of salvation. He's looking and saying, listen, it, it, that's the only source of salvation that there is. Start there. Go there. And now he presents the problem and the issue that he's seeing within them. Um, the other thing that we see is that the consequences are dire. If you, if you look at, at what he's saying in these first four verses, he's looking and saying, listen, listen. The consequences of walking away from Christ after you've already followed him is dire. Like we look back in the Old Testament, we see what the punishments were. How much greater is that punishment going to be if you know Christ and then you walk away from him? How much more intense it is. And we as Christians know that that, that that punishment is hell. That punishment is eternal damnation. That, that punishment is being separated from Christ, being separated from God for eternity. That it's like living through eternity with that constant void, that, that constant not knowing who Christ is, that constant emptiness that, that you experience when you don't know Christ. And, and what we don't realize is that emptiness is going to be greater than the punishment that we could ever experience in hell. Last week, we talked about how this isn't rules-based, though. And this is where we have to start to find this balance because a relationship with Christ isn't rules-based. And Paul isn't writing and saying, make sure you follow this list of rules. He, he isn't looking and saying, do these things. He's looking and saying, continue to pursue. Continue to build your relationship with Christ. Continue to build who you are in him. He's not looking and saying, make sure you check this off and check that off and check this off and check that off. He's saying, no, there are things that we need to do, but it starts with pursuing that relationship with him. Jesus in and of himself said this. He said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And Jesus is looking and saying, Listen, you've seen all of these things that you've been told you needed to do. And there are some of those things that are extremely important. And he goes on to say what those two things are. He looks and says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second thing he says is, Love your neighbor as yourself. So we do have two commands from Jesus that are extremely important to follow that as we pursue looking like Christ. Those two things become extremely important to us because those are the two things that Jesus put emphasis on, a relationship with the Father and loving other people. So as we do those two things, we can, we, we can get to that point where we don't have to worry about the consequences because we're pursuing what Christ has called us to pursue so there is this balance between not living a life of legalism but making sure that we're living a life that is appeal that is that is um, appeasing to the Father that is appeasing to who Christ has called us to be so there is this balance that you have to find just like everything else in life is all about finding balance between two extremes we see this constantly. And in, in the Bible, we see this constantly in our Christian walks. If we can go to one extreme or another extreme, and really Christ is calling us to find a balance between the two. So it's tough to do sometimes. But we get to, we, we get to this, and we see it in the very first verse. In the very first verse, w- we see what is so important. He says, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. And I think this is where he sets up that that first, that very first line is the setup for everything he's getting ready to say in the rest of this chapter. Let's listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. And see, what we don't realize is we are all in danger of drifting away. We're all in danger from it. And the simple reason is, is because... In order to drift away, the number one thing you have to do is don't do anything. Don't do anything. Drifting away is so simple because it's natural. It's a natural thing to drift away. So, Pastor Gary constantly talks about this, and so I'm going to use it as well. The example of a boat if I'm driving a boat, I have to stay focused on going one way. If all of a sudden I just shut the engine off on a boat in the middle of the ocean, and I'm just like, all right, I will just go wherever the, wherever the winds take me, that's what's gonna happen. You'll never get to where you're expecting to be if you shut the engines off and just wait to drift through life. You're going to drift wherever everything around you is taking you. You're going to float along with the waves. You're going to float along with the winds. You're not, you don't have a set point that you're headed towards. You don't have something that you're holding steady towards. And so now it becomes, well, what are you allowing to influence you? Well, culture around you is going to influence you in the way that you need to go. We can see this constantly right now with the midst of where we are. Because what you're feeding yourself with is what's coming out. If you're feeding yourself with the constant fear that's around you, fear is going to be the way that you drift. If you are feeding yourself with conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories is the way you're going to drift. Whatever you are surrounding yourself with and whatever you are allowing to have the most influence on you is going to be the way that you drift. Jesus is what we're called to head towards, but the greatest thing is is that He is also the anchor that in those moments that we're supposed to find rest in Him, He's the anchor that holds us. He's the anchor that keeps us stable and steady when everything else around us is telling us to shift this way or float this way or drift this way. As I was studying for this, I've never put this portion together. But when when you go back and you look at some of the things that Jesus said, you go back to Matthew chapter 22, and you look at um, Jesus is telling the parable of the marriage feast, right? And so here's what happens is that there's a guy who's getting ready. There's a ruler who's getting ready to have a marriage feast. He looks at his servants. He says, hey, go get all of my friends and tell them to come. We're getting ready to have a marriage celebration. Go get them. There's going to be a great banquet. Tell them to come. Tell them to come. And so the servants go out, they tell everybody to come. And if you look at verse 5, it says something along these lines. But they paid no attention. The people that were being invited paid no attention to what the servants were saying. Some versions say that they made light of it. Some said that they were actually in contempt of the invitation that was sent to them. And they went about their day. They went and tended their farms. They went and tended their businesses. They went and did What they always do. We are in a natural place of drifting away because it's very easy to become influenced by all of the other things that we have going on around us. It's very easy to get caught up in the day to day of life and neglect our relationship with Christ. See, it's not a sin to binge watch something on Netflix until you binge watch to the point of neglecting the king's invitation, right? It's not a sin to go play golf every day, thank God, um, until it gets to the point where you neglect the king's invitation. See, there are so many things in life that it's not sin There's nothing wrong with it, but we can allow it to preoccupy us in a way that we completely miss the invitation of the king that's sent to us, and we're willing to walk away. We're willing to trade what God has for us for something less because we're distracted by what's going on around us, we're distracted by what's happening there's a I don't even know who said it I've read it so many times if I knew who it was I'd give you credit but they say they're famous for asking the question what must I do to be lost the answer is nothing just drift through life thinking about other things in order to walk away from Christ the easiest way to do it is just to stop doing anything Stop spending time in the Word. Stop spending time in prayer. Stop pursuing that invitation that He is constantly giving to us to come in and to have communion to Him, to have community with Him, to, to grow in Him. It, it, and as we walk away from those things, it's actually very simple and it's natural. We're going to look at that um, here in a minute. And, and so what's the answer to that? The answer to that is found in the exact same verse. In verse 1, the very first thing He says is, So we must listen very carefully to the truth. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we've heard. He gives the answer before he gives the problem. Listen carefully. Pay attention. Maybe you've, you know, maybe you've been sitting here on a Sunday morning, and Pastor Gary does a great job of preaching straight from the Word of God. Like, he is awesome about that. It is straight from the Word, anything you ever hear. But maybe you've sat here before and gone, Man, you know, I wish he'd talk about something else. I wish he would talk about something more fun. I wish he would talk about something that, I wish he would talk about something else. And, and, if, and if that's been your attitude before, you know, and, and we're all guilty of falling into it at times, but, but if that's been your attitude before, I mean, we need to check what's going on in us because it is the word of God. And, and let me put it this way. So if all of a sudden you had a rich relative that died, right, and I'm talking real rich, like trillions of dollars rich, Um, real rich, and you were the only living relative, And, and you went to the will reading, and you're so excited, and the very first line in the will is, the more of the will you understand, the more money you will get from it. The more that you dive into the will, the more riches you're going to get. You better believe every single one of us is going to be so invested in that will, trying to find out the things that we need to do in order to gain more riches. We are going to be so invested in that will, we're going to carry a copy of that thing with us every single place, everywhere that we go, because that will is going to become gold to us, literally but that's the exact same thing that Christ has promised. The word of God is our inheritance. It shows us our inheritance that we have from Christ, that we have from the father. And, and, and are we at the point where if we had a will that was worth trillions of dollars, we would get into it and dive into it so deep. Do we do the exact same thing with the word of Christ, with the, with the word of God? diving so deep into it because there is an inheritance that is found in there that I can grab a hold of and that I can dive into and that the more of it that I get into, the more of it I'm going to get back. Man, do we treat the Word of God that way? Because that's, that's the answer to drifting away. Listen carefully to the truth we have heard. Well, that truth is the Word of God. That truth is Scripture. That truth is what we are supposed to hold hold steady towards. And so that's really that answer. And and sometimes going back to drifting, it's that we become too focused on the things around us versus the eternal. I become too focused on the natural that I lose sight of the eternal. And that's what, what, what whoever wrote this, I almost said Paul could have been Paul, whoever wrote this actually had, because Jesus came as a man so that we could have an eternal mindset. We see that starting in verse 5, and furthermore, it is not angels who will control the future of the world we're talking about. For in one place, the scriptures say, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, or a son of man that you should care for him, Yet for a little while you made them a little lower than angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What do we see is Jesus, for a little while was given a position, a little lower than angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So here's what happens. The writer right there is actually going back to Psalms chapter 8. And is quoting Psalms chapter 8 in this context. Now, remember, the, the Hebrews, the Jews, considered David to be so ultimate, so high, so mighty. So they held his writings very sacred. And so the writer of Hebrews is going back and pointing to the fact that at the beginning, When God created the earth, he said, let man have dominion over the earth. Let man have dominion over it. What did man do with it? Drifted away real quick. Drifted away, was tempted by the serpent. The serpent took the dominion, didn't even take. Adam and Eve gave the dominion over to the serpent, over to Satan. Satan took it and he's like, thanks, I'll see you guys later. And then Jesus shows up, and when Jesus came back, we see that Jesus took the the power of death, took dominion of the earth back away and said, nope, this is not intended for you. I am coming back to redeem what man has lost. I am coming back to redeem the dominion that was given to him. I am taking that back from you, And I am restoring it back to where it was originally intended to be. And now Jesus has dominion over the earth. That dominion resides in him. In his death and in his resurrection, he took the power of sin. He took the power of death. He took all of those things back away and said, you no longer have any authority here. All authority resides in me. So the writer of Hebrews is pointing back to that and reminding the Jews of the promise that was given and showing that it was fulfilled in Jesus coming and dying. Because they were looking and going, well, it's you know, if he became a man, he lowered himself to less than an angel at that point, because the Bible says that we're less than angels for now. And and the writer of Hebrews is looking and saying, hold on a second. Let's talk about why he did that. Let's talk about why for a time he made himself lower than angels because there was a plan. So picking up in verse 11. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. This is, that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So Jesus coming to this earth was an eternal purpose and an eternal plan. So the writer of Hebrews is looking and going, hold on, let's put what you're trying to argue against in context because there was also people who argued and said, "Well, Jesus actually never became man." There were all of these arguments that happened years ago and then they had to come up with these creeds within the church to declare who Christ actually was as they went through scripture and say these are the things that we're gonna hold on to and sometimes we neglect some of those things very carefully that there is so much actual like deep theological and, and, and deep insights into scripture that you can find in some of those things in the early church. But here's the thing, Jesus came to earth with an eternal purpose, an eternal plan. He took on the form of man fully, and we can see that because he is confident in calling us brothers and sisters. We, we can see that he took on a fully man position because he calls us his brothers and sisters. And He came, going back to what we had talked about earlier, Satan had the power of sin and death at that time. And Jesus is looking and going, that's never the way it was intended to be. Because man drifted away, he gave him that power. He, he gave him those things. And, and now he, Jesus is looking and saying, nope, I'm coming to reclaim that. I'm coming to take that back. Because it was never yours to begin with. You are a fallen being that was created. You are not even parallel to me. The moment that Jesus died satan was under submission in that moment we can see that he was in under submission before that because jesus was constantly casting out devils constantly casting out demons he was constantly looking and saying nope you have no position you have no authority you have no right even in that moment they had to submit to him but it was only him coming to earth taking on the form of a human taking on the form taking on the form of man and making himself as they deemed weak could he actually break that power? That was the only way it could happen. And we know because he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, God, if there is any other way, Father, if there is any other way except me dying on the death of the cross, please show it. Please, I'll do anything because I know how painful this is going to be. I know how much this is going to hurt. I'm not really excited about it. God, if there is any other way, please let it happen. Then he says the most powerful words in Scripture, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Most powerful words in Scripture, that word nevertheless, forget everything else I just said because all of it doesn't matter outside of your will happening. See, what we see as weakness of him coming and lowering himself is actually a position of strength. It's actually a position of power. It actually points to him being greater, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. So keeping in mind that he's writing to show the supremacy of Christ, he is writing and saying, you can't give in to the persecution because look at how great of a price Jesus paid You can't give in. You can't drift away because look at the power that he reclaimed. Look at who he became through lowering himself momentarily. Keep an eternal mindset that when he did it, he did it so that he could reclaim the power. He could reclaim the authority that man had given up. So don't look at it as a place of weakness, but see the strength and the power and the authority that came out of it. And so many times, we're quick to forget that power and that authority that Jesus reclaimed in that moment. Right? It's easy to see, like, to see his death and his resurrection and almost take light of it. When really, Pastor Gary and I were talking about this this, this week, is we were talking about the veil being torn, and we were talking about the earthquake that happened after it. And man, like, it's not in scripture, this is my own personal conviction and belief, but I really believe that earthquake happened because the veil was torn, God's, God's presence once again covered the entire earth, and I believe the earth shook from the sheer presence and magnitude of God's weight once again settling upon it in a way that it hadn't in so many years because God's power was now able to go out, and that, and that power, that authority, that, 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 that original plan was once again redeemed. And I don't know if that's okay, but man, it paints a really cool picture of the earth just trembling from the magnitude of God's presence. Man, what does that say about the way that we should act in his presence? Holding steady towards that power, holding steady towards that authority. You can't go back. Look at the power and the magnitude of what Jesus did. He continues on in verse 16. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, once again says it, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. He's able to help us when we are being tested. Again, he goes back in this portion and says, I'm going to point back once again that Jesus came for a specific purpose with a specific plan in mind. He became like us in every single way, physically, emotionally. He became like a human. But he did it so that he could become our high priest. Right? And and we lose sight of what that actually looks like. A priest in Jewish times was an intermediary. He was the one that was responsible for going between God and man. He was the only one that was allowed. The high priest is the only one that was allowed into the Holy of Holies. And even in that moment, he was so scared of dying that they would tie a rope around his ankle. They'd put bells all along it, hoping that he would continue to pull, hoping they'd hear a bell every once in a while. Because if you went in there with with sin you would just die. You would die under the presence and under the weight and magnitude of who God was. I I wouldn't want to be a high priest. I I wouldn't want to go through that. But the writer of Hebrews is looking and saying, hold on, I'm going to show you that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He's higher than all others that have come before him. He, he is greater than any of them that could have come. I, I'm so thankful that we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore. Because the ultimate price has been paid. One, could you think about that, too? Like, I can only imagine back in the day, it was like, oh, you know, there goes Matt taking a bull to the temple again. Must have been really bad this time. Oh, he's only taking a dove. Might, must not have been as bad. Must not have been as bad. Oh, there he is again this week taking like every single time you had to take a sacrifice to the temple and like people are looking at you like man you really messed up this week that's just that's the way i see it you know that condemnation that knowing that you're taking it and it's only covering it's only covering but jesus came and and it's like pastor gary talked about last like last week jesus came and he didn't just cover it he eradicated it. He cleaned it. He cleansed it. He made it renewed. He made it new. He made it better. He, he came in and he needed it and he, he got it to where it needed to be. And, and he gives it back in a restored position, in a position of cleanness. And oh my goodness, like can we only imagine that I no longer have to worry about whether or not people can see my sins underneath the offering and and hope that God's going to accept my hope that God's going to accept this pure offering to cover the sins so that he can't see them anymore. Versus now it says that right like covering sins versus causing our sins to become as far as the east is from the west. That's a huge difference between those two positions. And so, the writer of Hebrews is looking and saying, let's talk about that for a second, that he is that ultimate high priest. Let's talk for a second about the fact that he is showing that he is greater than any high priest, that, I love this, he endured all of this so that he could show us mercy, right? He endured all all of this, becoming a human, you look in verse 17, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. A lot of times back then, priests didn't show a lot of mercy. We can see this by the way that the Pharisees treated Jesus and treated so many other people. There wasn't a lot of mercy back then. So this idea of a merciful high priest was something that Jews couldn't conceive. They couldn't imagine, they couldn't think of. He came because he was driven to the cross by compassion for us. Compassion drove him. One of my favorite points of scripture is that it was Jesus' kindness that called us to repentance. It was his compassion for us that calls us, that draws us, that that brings us in closer to him. If we look at verse 18, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help. That word help there in the Greek is actually very closely translated to coming to the aid of. Right. When my kids, if if you have kids, especially, you know, the difference between a cry for help that that doesn't mean anything versus a cry for help that like you don't care what you're doing. You're going to drop it and you're going to run towards it and you're going to find out what's going on real quick. Man, think about that picture. Jesus dropping everything to come running to your aid because of the way that you cry out for help. And, and the reason that he can do that, the reason is because Jesus became fully man, understanding the temptation of drifting, understanding the temptation of wavering, understanding that he came, was tempted by Satan himself to walk away, to give it all up, promised the riches of the world, promised anything he wanted, because at that point, Satan still had control Satan still had that power. And Satan's trying to say, like, listen, I'll give this to you, but I don't want to relinquish the power, knowing what was about to happen. Knowing that Jesus coming to earth in some way threatened that power from being removed from him. He didn't know how. He he didn't know why. Otherwise, he would not have let him get to the cross, as we're going to talk about, as we're going to continue to talk about. He wouldn't have let him get to that point if he had known. But he knew that he needed to hold on to that power some way. So Jesus understands the temptation. Jesus understands that, that the only way is to cry out to the Father. We see Jesus continually crying out to the Father, going to the Father, seeking the Father, making sure that he's grounded in the word of Christ. It is our responsibility To cry out when we need it. And to run when it's necessary. To flee temptation. See, this entire chapter just continues to build on itself of what it means to hold steady. It just continues to build. So what does it mean to hold steady? It means that we pay such close attention to the word of God and keep in mind the work of the cross. Because that's the only thing that's going to help us to keep an eternal mindset of who Jesus is, of who God is, staying focused on what he has called us towards. And it's it's really easy with where we're all at right now, in a position we never thought we would find ourselves in, in a place we never thought we would be to not be able to gather together in a church building for a time, to gather together as believers outside of Zoom calls, outside of text messages, outside of the phone. It's very easy in this time to even though you have more time than you know what to do with, to become so distracted by everything else going on around you that you allow it to distract you from the eternal things that Christ and that God has called us towards. Holding steady means that I'm not just going to sit still and hope that I get to where I need to be, but I'm going to be intentional about taking the steps in God's Word and and be intentional about taking the steps in who Christ has called me to be because of the work that he did on the cross, because he became fully man and took back the authority, took back the things that we were so easy and so quick to give away simply for the taste of, an, of whatever fruit it actually was. Because we are fickle human beings walking towards those things and remembering who Christ is and who he became so that we don't have to pay the, the 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 price of death we don't have to pay the price of sin anymore but we can walk in confidence in who Christ has called us to be because he is our mediator he is our high priest sitting at the right hand of the father and he is the one that, as Satan comes and accuses us Jesus looks and says hold on a second I paid the price for that already hold on a second nope that's already been that's not even covered it's eradicated it's gone you can't claim that anymore over them because they've already claimed me and as they have claimed me I have covered them I have cleansed them I have put them in right standing you don't have to listen to him anymore Keeping that in mind because there are going to be things that we go through. There is always going to be the temptation to just kind of settle in and allow the the things of life to drift us. Death in the family, marriage issues, financial problems. It is constantly beating up against us like a boat in an ocean. Waves constantly just smashing into the side of us trying to drift us this way, trying to drift us that way. And Jesus looking and saying, hold steady towards me. Keep your motor running. If you need to take a rest, make sure that you have that anchor. That you may drift for a moment, but you're going to come right back to where I've called you to be. And if the temptation is too great, when you're tempted, call out to me, cry out to me because I will run to you like a father runs to his child in need. That's what hold steady looks like. Hold steady means that I hold steady towards what Christ has called me to, which is him because it's, it's him. I just want to run after him. I just want to chase him. I just want to pursue him. And I find him not in, not in preachings of men. I find him not in, not in this thought or that, this, that thought. I find him founded in the word of Christ and the promises. And I find him in his character that is, that is, that is elaborated upon in the word of, in the, in the word of God. And I find him in, in scripture. I find him in the stories that he told when he was here on earth, and I find that pursuit of him there, that I cannot neglect the king's invitation. I can't look and say, well, I'll get to it eventually. I I can't look and say, I'm going to let this happen first or let that happen first. Accepting the king's invitation and pursuing it with everything I have inside of me. That's what hold steady looks like. Hold steady means that I have to continue on. I can't allow myself to drift this way or that way simply by doing nothing. It means I have to be intentional in the steps that I take towards him. That's hold steady. So my first question that I wanna ask, and if, if any of this resonates with you, please send us a message on Facebook. Please send us an email. Let us know if maybe you want to take the first step of walking in Christ. Comment right there. I'm sure there are plenty of people there that could help walk you through what it means to start a relationship with Christ. Because really all it means is taking that first step and saying, I believe that you are that high priest and I need you not just to cover my sins, but I need you to cleanse me. I need to to be intentional about pursuing you. And taking that first step so that's my first question do you have a relationship with Christ if you don't here's all you have to do is believe believe he is who he says he is believe he did what he said he did and say I need it I need a relationship if you're sitting there right now just simply pray and say I need a relationship with you God cleanse me of my sins the Bible says that even if you thought it you now have a relationship with him it's that simple you have started a relationship and we would love to talk to you about what that means and how you can continue in that journey, how you continue to hold steady towards him. Please let us know if you prayed that today for the first time. Maybe you do have a relationship with Christ and there are things that are keeping you from the King's invitation. Maybe there are things that instead of bringing them to him like we need to, They've become distractions that allow us to drift one way or another. If you have those things, we want to pray for you today. And we would love to connect you with somebody that can pray for you. Next question is, are you drifting? Or are you being intentional? Are you at a point where you've just kind of turned the motors off? You haven't really dropped the anchor. And you're kind of just floating wherever everything around you is taking you. Are you being intentional about holding steady towards what he's called you to are you crying out to god to help you in the moments you need it as you face temptation as you're facing marital issues financial issues issues with your children right are you directing those back to christ and saying god i need you are you allowing those to become distractions around you the last question is will you hold steady eyes focused on him, intentionally taking steps to who he's called you to be. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you sent your son to die for us, as the high priest so that we could walk confidently in you walk into the throne room and look and know that we have Jesus sitting there at your right hand that is our that is our lawyer that he is the one that is looking and saying you can't accuse him you can't persecute him God I pray that you help us to walk in that light to walk towards you to call out to you when we have temptation to allow the storms of life not to push just one way or another, but to hold steady towards what you have called us to, to hold steady in an eternal mindset of who you have called us to be, of where you are bringing us towards. God, help us to hold steady and to pursue you with everything that we have. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name. Amen.